it's recording. Thanks. Okay. Is there another? Sorry. Need the space. Excellent. Hello. Uh, I'm a human. You get it. Okay. <laughs> okay. One more thing I need. Sweet cheese, indeed, right. Let me get started. So, it's a family service, so it's going to be something slightly interactive. There's obviously sweets on the line. Hello, exactly, yes, Sam, that's right. <laughs> so, as we start, I'm going to, there's going to be a few levels, but I'm just going to ask you to think about the most valuable item that you've ever lost. Doesn't have to be monetary, it could be sentimental value, but if you can have a think, and I'll even come to you if, you, if you're willing to admit it. Oh, hope, go for it. Fountain pen. 
Andrew Wilkinson is a, is a fine eye. He, he can take and tell me what are the greatest bits of this fountain pen. But nevertheless, boring to everyone else. This is important to me. This was my dad gave this to me when I was 21. And I, I just used it as a pen. And then obviously since he passed, it's, it's valuable to me. Um, but, and I really want to keep it extra safe. So this is where these items come in, right? So I, I'm gonna put the question to you. Um, if you had all the money in the world, but you could only do one thing to keep this safe, what would you do? So I'm going to ask the question, um, there's, there's a suite for the best answer, there's a suite for the most creative answer. Honestly, I want lions and lasers and all this stuff, okay? No limits to what you would do to keep something safe. So what would you do if you wanted to keep my fountain pen really, really safe? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so secure, so trusting. And Tim, what was yours again, sorry? An identical pen. Clever. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm going to give one to Hope. I think that was probably the most practical of keeping it safe. Um, man, no one thought of lasers. What's this about? Or unicorns, anything money can buy, you know? Um, what's the most creative? This linky, this linky. Help yourself. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so, <laughs> so let's bump it up a bit. We've got more of these goodies. Um, let's take the example of a safe. What's the problem with locking it up in a super secure location, something like a fountain pen? You might forget You can't use it. Yeah, what's a pen for? A pen is for using, oh sorry, Jackie. 
Might lose the key also, also. But the, the main thing I want to focus on is that you can't use the pen. So I was going to say at this point, but Andrew's kind of jumping the gun a bit, but never mind. Well, ignore Andrew. I was going to say, if you wanted to ask the same question, um, how to keep it really safe, safe from all the thieves that come to my door asking after this amazing pen, um, everyone, but I also wanted to use it, how would you do it? How would that keep it safe? I know where it is. Keep it with me? Keep it with me all the time? I mean, get a bit stronger, maybe I have to actually go to the gym this time. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's fine. Claire, have one for that great quest. I know the slinky actually does answer the question, but nevertheless, we can ignore that. <laughs> so, some of this. Okay, so there is actually one more. This is for whoever can spot the tenuous connection between that, that, that game, that thing, and the rest of the message. It should be, it should be clear, but the sweets on the line. I know that, that helps everyone pay, pay attention. So, anyway, so like we saw with that game, there are things that we all want to keep secure. So you know, think about money or people we love, all these things. Um, and it's, it's very easy to think about how we can keep someone safe if we have endless resources. But we don't have endless resources, and often we come against ourselves quite often of, uh, you know, who can stop a married man treasuring his wedding ring and then losing it on the beach, or losing it in a caravan somewhere? We come up against ourselves often. So what's harder, what's much harder, is keeping something really valuable safe, but we also want to use it all the time, right? Okay, so I'm just going to pray, and then we'll get into the text. Uh, Father God, we pray that you help us to understand uh, your word. It's your word that transforms our hearts and our minds, and we don't just want to know more. We want you to transform uh, the way we live. Um, yeah, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. So the, the context of 2 Corinthians 4, it wasn't that long that um, Alex did a series through 1 and 2 Corinthians, but um, I'm picking up this passage for a very good reason. Anyway, um, <laughs> the context of the letter, Paul is writing in the early church. There's lots of competing ideologies in that church, it's deciding what it means to be a successful preacher, what it would mean to be a successful church. Can we really trust Someone that suffered so much? Is God really giving his favour on someone like that? Um, other people seem to have much more influence and sway. Can <clears throat> This Christianity just looks very weak. It's not the idea of God that most people have. Okay, so that was what was happening in the Corinthian church at that time. I'm sure you can see we have the same pressures. There's the same things that crowd in on us of, surely if you really want to attract people in, you should do this or that. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't mention those things. You shouldn't go that, that way. You want to draw people in, those kind of questions. 
as we'll see, there's purpose in our experience. Okay, so I, I want to just go here that if you had the text in front of you, it's helpful to just flick to a couple of places. But in chapter one, just cite a few things. Right, so chapter one from eight to nine. Uh, Paul's just writing to the church, explaining his experience. Um, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And that was so that we would trust not in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead. Um, In the end of 3... He's talking about ministry and, um, and what, what church existence is like. And he's, he says, who is adequate for these things? So I'm thinking on both of those. Have you ever felt just like that? Pressures pushing you in from every side. You think you've dealt with one and then someone comes from elsewhere pressuring you in. Overwhelmed to the point of, I don't think... This isn't the life I would have ever written for myself. This isn't what I would ask for. And yet, these are the trials I'm coming up against. I feel inadequate. Okay, so what we're coming into the text... Paul handles two main doubts that hit the Christian and talks about a promised transformation. Why we're in this text is, as you might have seen, chapter 4 is kind of bookended. Like if you look in verse 1 and then towards the end, uh, towards 17, it's bookended by, therefore, we don't give up. So, let me ask a question. Everyone loves to hear it. What does a preacher say when they see the word therefore? What's it there for, exactly? So in order to... I know, I know everyone would love that. Um, <clears throat> so in order to understand what's it there for, in order to understand what he's saying, we need to build off his previous argument. Clearly chapter 4 begins with, therefore, we don't give up. So what's he talking about before? So this is 316 talking about the process of someone coming to faith, that uh, before, the, the, when scriptures talk about that process, it talks about us being spiritually dead, God acting, and bringing us to spiritual life, right? So, I mean, a helpful illustration that I've probably said before is um, some people think of it as we're all out there swimming in the ocean, um, and God's throwing a life, life ring, and whoever grabs hold of it comes to God. The biblical reality is we're all dead at the bottom of the ocean, unable to come to God. God is so holy, and what God does is he brings us to new life. Takes us to new life, I'm going to take you right to the end. So, that, so that, that's, Paul is framing that understanding of, um, of the new life. And he, he talks about it in terms of worship, so I'm just going to read so from the end of 16. Um, 
Still today, when the scriptures are read, a veil lies over their hearts. When a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all, so Christians, with unveiled faces, are looking, as in a mirror, at the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, this is kind of a foretaste of what everything's going to say next. The essence is... As we worship, we are transformed. So, something you might read, if you read, if you read verse 1, he said, oh, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, you might immediately be thinking, okay, Paul, you're a minister. You're talking about the ministry you have. That's not relevant to me in my day-to-day life, in my little walk. But the ministry he's talking about is the Holy Spirit, which works through every Christian. The transformation, how it happens, so we'll go later, but as we, as our eyes are open to be able to gaze at the glory of God, which God does, as we gaze, that's how we're transformed. So we, we sung in those songs about um, from the inside out, and as we look at God who is worthy of worship, um, we're brought out of ourselves, brought out of a worship of self, towards the worship of God. Uh, and that's, what, that's how God starts with us. So he works in our little heart to see things in him, to see him as good. Um, and then he plays that out in every circumstance throughout your life. Okay. So what are the two doubts that plague the Christian? One relates to other people, right? I'm not convinced that the gospel is enough. I've done my best to share the gospel with those I love, uh, and I haven't seen any fruit. I've tried my best, and it's clearly not good enough. The gospel needs an update. So maybe you haven't thought in those terms, but that happens in the church. Another objection, which Paul handles here. Okay, you Christians, you guys at the front, you talk about this triumph and victory that we have in Christ, but I don't feel very victorious. Maybe you're here, you haven't been in church long before, and you're looking around and you're saying, these Christians, they don't look very transformed. They look very similar to other people, if not. I, I know other people that don't know God, and they seem to have more. What's going on there? Okay, so we're going to handle the first one and the next one. So the first, Paul talks about the power of the message. Afterwards, we'll go into the weakness of us as messengers, and then we go into uh, resurrection power, which operates through every day that we live. We have this ministry because we were shown mercy. We don't give up. So his first point of why we don't give up is... That work that God has done in your heart already to be able to see God, to be able to love God, to be able to come to Him is through His work. It's His mercy, His unmerited favor. You did nothing. And why is that encouraging? Because in all the difficulties we go through, we can think, 
I'm disappointing God permanently. I'm never living up to his standard. Maybe he's just going to throw the towel in with me. God knew exactly who you were. God knew exactly what weaknesses you were going through, that you even will go through, and his grace is sufficient to take you all the way. Okay. So we don't give up. Then he moves from two. We've renounced... Oh, sorry. Yeah, we've renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully, distorting the word, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience. Um, He sets up a clear contrast of what true ministry should be. Paul is point-blank refusing to change his ministry in any way. So he's refusing to hide. Some some people, when you approach scripture, they say, oh, Uh, I know a good way of preaching that text without telling people what it means, right? I know a good way of handling uh, the gospel without um, telling people the hard truths. That is, you can see the temptation there, but that is not uh, faithful. And him having to say that, I'm not going to change how I'm going to do it, obviously shows that that's what other people are saying to Paul. I know there are other people, more influential, that have a more persuasive message uh, and it's much easier for me to listen to that than it is to listen to the harder truths. So why don't you just, this gospel that's got all its rough edges, why don't you just round those off and then when people come in and people are committed a bit, then we can start to sprinkle those in. It was explained to me once, very clearly, in a a previous church that we went to, where they said, often the reason someone does that is is for a good motive. They they think, uh, I want more people to know about Jesus, um, and so these bits are difficult, let me just take those out. Without, by changing the gospel, it's not the gospel anymore. What you're doing when you change the gospel, when you take those edges out, you're not offering something, anything of worth. If the church starts to stop preaching the gospel, we just become a social club. And as you can all agree, the world does social clubs way better than the church does. We lose our distinctiveness. We lose it's those rough edges that comes to our coarse hearts. Um, again, you all know that none of you live the way that you want to live. I don't live the way I want to live. I say I'll just keep a confidence and I don't. I say I'll love someone I don't. I say I'll prioritize the man I don't. I'm not the way I want to be, and change must happen. And God determined it to be through his gospel. So the focus of worship, the focus of church, is not a social fulfillment, but it's an inner transformation. So, and obviously, having a new heart does mean we have a reconciled with God, we have reconciled with other people. It follows that. Um, we should care of other people. So Paul knows those pressures and he chooses a different tactic. I'm not going to shield those things. I'm going to declare openly the full truth. I'm not going to water it down. I'm going to present it full strength. There's a, a verse in uh, Romans where it talks about the gospel of God 
being the power of God unto salvation. And that encourages me in my walk with colleagues. Colleagues ask me all the awkward questions. As soon as they find out you're a Christian, they ask you everything. Um, what's going on when we share the gospel? Sometimes, and you know, we can be think about this. I remember I thought when I was a young Christian, it's on my shoulders then if my family doesn't believe because it matters how I put it across. If I put it across and I put it across in the wrong way, why can't I just be better? Gladly, God knows our weakness and the gospel he gives, it's the gospel itself that is the, is the power. If you can get it out to say it, the gospel itself will take care. What we'll, we'll see, the rest, is our, our life as Christians, our, not job, our, yeah, our calling as Christians is to be faithful and to trust in God for the fruit. The opportunities you have, take those. But God is the one who gives the outcome. Okay, we're going to tackle the harder point of that scripture. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is most clear to me when I've had the opportunity to share the gospel in a full, clear way. Uh, I've gone through all the points. Oh, no, no, it's not this. Oh, it's this. oh no, 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 not quite that. But been able to lay it out and someone has understood, but yet they don't believe. So, it's a sad reality that when we do share the gospel, some will still reject the message. Um, some still don't believe. Some that veil, they kept from seeing God. So, not to misunderstand the verse, what it's not saying is if you've shared the gospel with someone and they don't believe, that they're never going to believe, that they're eternally lost, that your job is done in that sense. That's not what's happening. Um, the gospel is the thing that, that gives your eyesight, and even in a Christian experience, I'm so glad that is not how it works. If that was how it works, we'd all be lost. Well, I definitely be lost. You know, raised in church, became a Christian when I eventually went to uni. Um, if if Christians had that attitude of, oh well, we shared the gospel once. Guess he's not. Guess he's not there. Um, <laughs> thankfully, God has a plan for when we come to faith um, and he chooses his moment. Our job is to present the gospel faithfully and trust in God for the result. Okay. And then Paul in the text links it in terms of creation and new creation. So he like, let light, the God who said light, light shine out of darkness. So when he created the world, he spoke them into creation. I heard someone say, oh, if I try and speak donuts, they don't appear. God, God has that kind of power. God has promised to work through the gospel. So if we think people are too far gone, if we think, man, I'm trying and it's not working, trust God is the one who's interested. God is the one who works. God is the one who 
takes hold of your little, as Alex would say, plinky plonks and puts them together in a little melody. Okay, let's move on. Right. So we've seen it's, it's the gospel that changes your heart. It's our, our gazing on God's beauty. That's why we come to worship. That's why we seek to fill our minds because the world is telling us a different message. We want to gaze on the glory of God. We have this treasure in clay jars, so that the extraordinary power may, not, may be from God and not from us. Okay, we're just gonna spot these, right? Power in breakable pots. To, that's the purpose is to reveal um, God's power and not ours. How I think about this is the weaknesses that you encounter in your life, the circumstances that you find difficult, that you wish weren't there. God uses those to help you see your need of Him, right? So in our relationships, I mean, certainly in marriages and in our relationships, we see, we come up against ourselves all the time. I kind of wish it was someone else's fault, but it's my fault. We come up against ourselves all the time, we come up against other people all the time. Um, in those circumstances, we see our weakness. And we see our need of transformation with us when we yearn for that change to happen. So God has designed it so that we become familiar with our limits. So, I mean, the easiest one is to think about sleep. It seems baffling to us um, why God would design it so that we live our lives, but he's designed it so a third of your life you are asleep, unconscious. Who's going to keep you safe, you know? <laughs> um, that's for us to humble ourselves in dependence on him. Okay, you might follow me so far, but having said all that, it does get a bit confusing, doesn't it? Like, uh, if I'm having the moments of, I want to give up, I want to throw the towel in, why would God make it harder for me? This is where the resurrection power speaks. This is verse 14. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. What we often think is, okay, I'm going through a tough time. Jesus has promised me eternal life. There's a lot of time in between there. This resurrection power is for us to experience day by day. Just as the transformation happens day by day, that resurrection happens day by day. In a sense, we do come from death to life. In a sense that, yes, your life is secure. Yes, we will have eternal life after this one is over. If you believe that Jesus was raised to life, that same power that raised Jesus to life from the dead 
Um, that's the power we live the new life out. So it would be absurd to say, God is expect, God is, God's put all these commands out, and he's expecting you to live this life, and you don't actually have the power to do it. Right, that seems a bit backward. In fact, in order to do these things, we have to depend on God. We have to, His Holy Spirit has to empower us to be able to love people that are unlovely. He loved us when we were unlovely. His power enables us to love other people when they're unlovely. So since the spiritual life has begun, the resurrection power has begun. As you're freed from the ultimate power of hell, you're also freed from the power of sin in your own life. We all have hearts with sin that still plagues us. But that resurrection power, that little seed that's been already given to you, is with that that we can conquer sin in our hearts and our lives. So again, going back to what Paul's been like saying earlier, oh, do it again, earlier on in the book, who is adequate for these things? It's definitely not us, right? God is our confidence. Jesus is our security. The gospel is what fuels us for that difficult, difficult uh, work of a, of a life worthy for God. Without the constant reminder of sin in the world and our hearts, it's possible that we might forget to come to him for forgiveness. We might fall into the same trap of that game we played, of keeping the gospel so safe, so, oh, I'll keep it secure in some bunker, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep it so secure um, that we don't actually come to it for our own weaknesses. So we return to our objections. Since God has granted us belief through the power of the gospel, we too can share that truth with other people that we love. Ordinary people, difficult circumstances, looking to God for his strength, his purposes to happen in our weak, little, weedy lives. God sees it all. Right, coming towards the end. Um, you might have spot, he said, it quotes, so then, like, death is at work in us, that's that. Difficulty we come against, life in you. We have the same spirit of faith. Believe, therefore speak. Believe and therefore speak. The reason um, God entrusts little messages, the, his great message to people weak like us, who break all the time, who despair all the time, the reason he does that it's because that's how it's always worked. It's always worked that way. We believe and we speak and we share. We believe, we taste God and his goodness and his glory to us in our own little lives when we share that. And God is still ready to pick those things up. So what keeps us going in the life of worship is the promise of transformation. I don't look very transformed. I don't feel very transformed. God's perception of our transformation is different to us. Holiness is not popular, not popular today, they've hardly ever been popular. The cleaving of your heart towards holiness away from sin. 
we don't lose heart in the Christian life because God has promised us that no matter what it looks like, our inner self is being renewed. So that's that 16. Outer person destroyed, inner person renewed, day by day. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an incomparable weight of glory. Just a last point. When Paul says incomparable, uh, uh, light and momentary, what is the life that Paul has led? Who is it difficult to take advice from? Someone that has, has no idea of the kind of life that you live, the pressures that you go through. When Paul's saying these afflictions are light and momentary, he's been whipped, he's been beaten, he's been uh, beaten to death uh, multiple times, he's been shipwrecked, abandoned, lost everything close to him. And he's the one saying it's light and momentary, and God has such a purpose in it that he's getting us to the end. God's purpose is not to make us sleek, self-sufficient Christians. Oh, I don't need anyone. I've got God, I need nothing. So where do we go when we're tempted to give up? When we feel the cost of our obedience, when we feel our desires don't match up? Firstly, we call to mind the mercy of God. That's from verse 1. Second, that those very weaknesses reveal your need of him to see his deliverance through your life. And through his strength that he gives to us, revealing his glory to others. And to close, the, the treasure of the gospel is the only thing that will give us renewal day by day. The word of God speaking that life into our creation. God enables us to worship God through our weaknesses. God gives us strength day by day. And we can trust him to take us all the way. Father God, we pray for these very things. We all know very evidently that the world is broken, that we are broken, that we don't live the way we want to live, that we want your transformation, we want you to work in our hearts. We thank you that that's begun. Help us to present it to other people. Help us to keep it as a treasure close to us, day by day, helping us. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name.